And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Welcome to Better to Speak, the podcast, where we use storytelling to transform silence into language and action. I'm your host, Casey Felton. As most of you know, I studied journalism, but pivoted to communications as I thought that would be a better way to use my writing skills and take direct action in support of social justice and politics. Staying connected to both journalism and communication spaces has taught me about the importance of the written word as a powerful tool for social change. Journalism reminds me to never stop seeking the truth, while communications teaches me all the possibilities to be intentional with every word and sentence that makes up my message. Specifically, using these skills to discuss issues relevant to the Black community and amplify voices of other young Black leaders gives this work significantly more power and meaning way beyond what storytelling has done for my own personal expression. Through Better to Space Communications arm, I've had the opportunity to work alongside my peers as we each find our roles in the world, and specifically in the movement for Black liberation and social justice. However, across media industries, including communications, marketing, advertising, public relations, and even journalism, Black professionals still roughly make up less than 10% in each field. Today's guest is Elizabeth Bellevue, who is a fellow HBCU-made young comms professional, having graduated from Lincoln University. She now studies political communications in her graduate program at GW in DC. This was definitely one of my favorite interviews because I left this conversation feeling really inspired and excited about the future of Black political communications. And then also because I don't know if y'all know this, but I realized that during this conversation, you can actually go over the 40 minute Zoom limit if it's only two people, like literally probably the 20th podcast interview that I've done. I would always be stressed about the time, but that's not the point. Just thought I'd add that. Um, I know it's been a minute since the last podcast episode. Um, during Better to Speak Hiatus, I've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, planning and dreaming and brainstorming for our next phase going into 2022. And you can actually get a preview of what's next for Better to Speak in our 2021 annual report, which is now live on our website. For now, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Elizabeth. You can find links to connect with her and with Better to Speak in the show notes, as well as a link to the annual report if you want to check that out. My name is Elizabeth Bellevue. Um, I was originally born in Haiti. Um, so I was born in Haiti um, back, I'm 23 um, now, but I was born in Haiti, um, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, and I moved out to America um, as a baby with my parents because I was also born with um, a heart defect. And at the time that I was born in the country, um, there was a lot of political unrest. Um, and, um, you know, it was hard for my parents to find um, the proper care that was needed for me to, you know, basically um, live. So um, my mother um, worked for the Haitian government and they offered to um, send um, us to the United States um, temporarily so I can get my procedure. Um, and things just continued to grow um, back in Haiti. Um, and my parents decided to um, remain in America. Um, and my mother continued to work for the Haitian government, but in America, in New York. Um, so 
that kind of has started, um, that kind of has um, an influence and an impact on, um, you know, what I'm currently doing right now as far as Haiti. Um, and I can get into that um, as I go along. Um, but I um, ended up growing up in New Jersey. Um, and then my family moved to Pennsylvania around 2012 um, during Hurricane Sandy. Um, so I moved to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I graduated high school at Central Dauphin East High School. Um, and um, it was a it's a predominantly it's diverse, but it was like a predominantly white area. Um, so um, even growing up in Jersey, um, I grew up in a very predominantly white area. Um, I didn't really start having black friends until middle school. Um, a lot of my friends were either white or um, non-black um, people. Um, and it was hard for me personally to really um, see where I fit in at that time. And I moved around a lot. So I was always having to try try to fit in, try to see where my space was. Um, and then my family ended up moving to like a more diverse, predominantly black area in New Jersey, where I started high school off, but I ended up moving like right after that first, um, the first few months. But there I kind of started engaging more with my blackness um, and um, engaging more with um, Haitian people because um, in that area more there were more Haitians so um, I was able to gain um, more friends of my ethnicity of my race which was good so moving to Harrisburg um, which I personally didn't really enjoy um, it wasn't the best decision I think um, my parents made but now I see it as it was the great decision because you know it has led me to where I am now. But um, while in high school, um, I founded um, the first African American Studies Club at my high school, and that was a battle in itself. Um, a lot of my peers thought I was trying to um, bring segregation back or whatever whatever they thought I was trying to do. A lot of the faculty members weren't open to the idea because they felt like our school was already diverse enough and we didn't need any of those resources or like we didn't need a African-American studies club. Like they thought that having a black principal, um, a black head principal was enough. Um, and I, I, I combated that um, and I, I fought that because you know, we weren't as a um, as a high school. We weren't doing enough for the Black community um, in the area. So, um, along with um, founding that, um, I had a lot of help from my mentor, who was also my teacher um, at the time. So, from there, we did more um, service and community service in um, you know the um, city communities of Harrisburg, like going out to the the elementary schools um, during Black History Month and reading to them like books that are written by Black people, um, books that center the Black experience, you know, from the children's perspective, of course, um, and just doing a lot of um, community work, um, community work in the area. Um, I started, I also started like a community garden near my church area, um, which is a predominantly black area. Um, but unfortunately it didn't continue um, because at the time, you know, 
there it was just a lot of adversity. I attended Lincoln University of Pennsylvania, um, which is the first degree granting HBCU. It's in um, right outside of Philadelphia, and it's like in the Amish town. But um, I came across Lincoln while I was in high school at a college fair. Um, they were like the last table that I actually went to go visit. Um, and after visiting that table, um, I learned that, you know, Langston Hughes attended, Thurgood Marshall attended, and Langston Hughes happened to be my favorite. Um, he happens to be my favorite poet. So um, seeing that automatically, um, you know, made me very interested in exploring HBCUs as an option. So after in, in, interacting with Lincoln, I ended up applying for a few other HBCUs. And I unfortunately didn't get accepted into them. Um, Lincoln was the only HBCU that accepted me. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. And um, upon enrolling, um, I was double majoring in mass communication. I started as a triple major. Um, uh, yeah. That, <laughs> so I was triple majoring in Pan-Africana studies, anthropology and communications. Um, but, you know, I was, of course, I was very serious about my four year track. I knew I wanted to graduate on time. I didn't want to hold myself back because, you know, I had plans to end up going to graduate school and stuff. So I had to like double down. So I ended up just double majoring. And then I got more involved in student government and a lot, it was just a lot that I I personally couldn't handle at the time. So I ended up um, just majoring in mass communications and minoring in black studies and then, you know, got a pre-law certificate. So everything still worked out around like my desired career um, aspirations and all of that. So while in undergrad, um, um, like I said, I, I did most of my time um, in student government. Um, and with that, there are some regrets and with that there aren't like, you know, um, there were pros and cons of basically giving my entire four years to an institution. Um, but um, through that experience, I was able to really um, step into my voice as somebody who wants to be an advocate, um, who wants to, um, fight for others um, who wants to do the work of the community. So um, that really helped me. And um, as of right now, I think I'm starting to step in more into my activism um, with everything that's happening in Haiti. Um, I didn't, when I moved out to Washington, D.C. Um, to pursue my um, master's in political communications at George Washington University, I was trying to figure out how I was going to, you know, I wanted to know where I was going to like, um, where I was going to do, like how, was, how my activism was going to manifest. Um, there's a lot of, you know, organizations in DC that do activism work, a lot of organizations that do mutual aid work, um, but something I, like I didn't find it like I've attended the marches rallies and all that but something wasn't clicking for me and I think it's because like as an immigrant who is from Haiti I feel as though like I can be a voice for you know my brothers and sisters here of course in America like I 
attend marches, do all these other things, but I don't feel like there is, there's been much um, activism support for um, countries that are under US imperialism. So um, once I started to hear what was happening in Haiti, um, it, it struck me a lot um, because also personally, um, I can also I, I can be like very transparent about this. Um, I'm not a US citizen, so I'm a temporary protected, I'm on a temporary protected status, meaning um, I am documented, I'm a documented um, immigrant in America. So I can work, I can attend school, I can do pay taxes, do all those things. But um, the temporary part, which I've been on um, since 20, since the earthquake in Haiti, because originally um, my family came with the status, of, we came on a diplomat status. And after the earthquake in Haiti, um, the country asked my mom to move back and continue her work with the government in Haiti. But both of my siblings were born in America. So my family decided to stay here. There was no reason to move back after, you know, 15, 16 some years. Um, so upon making that decision, um, you know, I, my fam, my, my parents and I, we've been on the temporary protected status. Um, and I think now that I'm getting a better understanding of how immigration affects black and brown people in America, I feel like that's where I want to kind of center my activism. Um, and of course, Black liberation is global. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I come from a pan-Africanist perspective. So I see it as, you know, um, the work that we're doing on, like in American, in America and like on US land, like it, it really affects, it really has a great effect on countries like Haiti that really do need our support while, you know, American imperialism and U.S. imperialism is basically dictating how their country is ran, how the government is ran. And with everything happening with the Haitian immigrants right now um, being massively deported um, by, you know, the current um, the current administration, um, it's been hitting home. Um, I like emotionally for the past few weeks, I've been I've been really like, you know, I've been really emotional these past few weeks because it's like, I know that I'm fine with my documentation and everything, but I have Haitian brothers and sisters who don't have that privilege or the leisure of saying that they're documented um, because it's hard to, to get documentation in America. Um, but with that experience, I think I'm definitely going to, um, really center my activism around that and like just um i recently joined an organization um called black alliance for peace um which is um which is an anti-imperialist um and abolition organization in dc um they have branches like everywhere chapters every um in different places but um i joined them because not simply because i saw the work that they were doing for haiti but because like you know, they're addressing the same, like the same system that's oppressing um, us Americans here, like black Americans, the same system um, that um, continues to disenfranchise us, that continues to marginalize us, is the same system that is working overseas. 
like, you know, um, these foreign governments are not, well, foreign black governments are not working on their own terms. Like they, you know, are in connection with, you know, the US government because unfortunately, like after Haiti gained its independence, there was a whole thing where like Haiti owed France money um, for reparations for winning the revolution. And then America stepped in um, in like 1915, I believe, and occupied Haiti. Um, for a very long time. So a lot of our um, a lot of our um, government, um, our governmental structures are ran, I wouldn't say ran by, but like they're controlled in a way um, by the American government. Like for example, um, with the elections in Haiti, um, the elections in Haiti have to be monitored and chaperoned by the American government. <laughs> so it's like stuff like that. You touched on um, one of my next questions, just to kind of um, zoom in on, you know, your in inspiration for getting into politics and specifically political comms. Like what made you want to um, focus on like communications? Okay, so um, I've been inspired. I I've been, um, what's the word? Um, I've been passionate about communications since I was very young. Um, my dad um, is actually, um, well, he used to be, but he was in communications. He had his own radio show. He did journalism um, and all of those things. So that kind of played a role in my interest. Um, even graduating in high school, my, um, my capstone was about journalism. Um, at first, I didn't know I wanted to be in political community. I didn't find out, I didn't realize I wanted to do political communications until my junior year of college. What made me realize I wanted to do political communications was um, the fact that I didn't feel, I didn't see a lot of Black people who were really um, in communications, um, Black, um, in political communications. Like I've seen, I see like people like Don Lemon reporting on CNN, like April Ryan and all these other things. But for me, it was like, whenever you hear mass communications, like people automatically just think, oh, you're, so you're gonna do broadcast. Oh, so you're gonna do radio. Oh, so you're gonna, be behind the like you're gonna do like film or so I don't know what like it it was very digital base um and uh, although mass communications of is a very well-rounded discipline um which I like because I've learned um the digital aspects and it has helped me um as a student and as a young professional but I think political communications is a very very unique um study and a unique discipline because um, it's not just about politics it's about you know understanding the role of politics um, when it comes to how things are the role of media when it comes to how communications is communicated to people um, communicated through the different institutions communicated through the white house communicated through congress like all of those things and I wanted to have a better understanding of why, why 
are things being communicated to us the way they are? And that's where agenda setting comes in, where you understand that there's a lot of agenda setting that happens in politics. A lot of the things that we see in media right now are strategically and purposefully and intentionally set the way they are um, so that you know whatever agenda political agenda is being pushed at the time is successfully pushed you know so for me um so i like i said i go to gw um for my program and i really enjoy it um but um one thing that i do plan to kind of change or spark or ignite invoke evoke change of before I leave GW is just, you know, incorporating more black scholars within our curriculum for political communications, because it's kind of discouraging when a lot of the work that we do, a lot of the work we read are from, you know, non-black scholars who are speaking from the perspective although they're coming from a progressive perspective although they're coming from a liberal perspectives perspective or leftist perspective they are not coming from the perspective of marginalized people um and for me being in political communications means that you know there will be more um political consultants working behind Black people who are running for office. Um, there will be more um, comms Black comms professionals in the White House. There will be more comms professionals in these different nonprofits, these, um, these um, foundations, these advocacy organizations and firms that are fighting on behalf of Black people or on behalf of Black and Brown people, but they don't have they don't have the community, the black communications professionals to actually do that work with them. It's like they're communicating our story for us. And that I don't, I can't get with that. Um, and I kind of had this experience at an internship I did last semester with an advocacy public affairs firm. And they had, they were doing a lot of work centered around issues of black and brown people but the the staff wasn't reflective of that you know we there was a lot of communications professionals on the team that couldn't speak to the experience of black people um politically like issues like political issues that affect us policies that affect us so being in um political communications and even in the program i'm in now there's not a lot of black people in my program um I think all of the classes I've had, I've been one out of four to five black students in the program um, in each class that I've been in. So a lot of black people are not in, in, in political communications. And if they are, um, they don't have the resources that non-black political communicators or political communications professionals have or the leverage that they have. So for me, being in this field means just not only opening a door for myself, but opening a door for others um, who are Black, who are Black women, um, who are Black non-binary, 
you know, trans, all of those, um, because at the end of the day, um, they're still not being, get, they're not given the safe space either. Um, you know, the LGBTQ community, those who are Black who want to work in these spaces, like, they, like, it's just, it's, it's just easier for, um, like, non-Black, cis, hetero people to be in our, in, in political communications. So, although, like, being in D.C. right now, like, has been a, an eye-opener for me, and it has shown me that there's not a lot of Black political consultant firms in D.C. Um, a lot of it is is white-ran, white-woman-ran. You know, I'm all here for women running things. I love that. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know or hear of a lot of Black-owned firms that center around advocacy, like, you know, advocacy, public affairs. And I don't think it's because we don't want to do it. It's because it, it, it may be, it, it sounds like a, I wouldn't say it's a small field, but it's political communications is very competitive because at the end of the day, you want to be able to get the best clients. Um, you want to be able to work with people who you know will win a campaign. You want to be able to work with a firm that, you know, is well is well known and actually like is doing advocacy work. They're not just um, taking money and pocketing it, or they're not just taking money and um, exploiting um, communities and stuff like that. Everything that was happening um, over the summer with Breonna Taylor, um, George Floyd, and everything like that, the the deaths of Black people by the hands of um, white police and state violence and you see how they how they depicted the protests um you see how they um depicted our our cries and our our anger and all of our emotions and it and they turned it into like mainstream liberal media turned it into this thing where it's like you know it's like not all not all media platforms were doing this of course not but like, you know, one thing I saw was how um, how organizers were being demonized and organizers were being criminalized. Organizers were being like, you know, they, they it's like they weren't the victims. Um, it's like they weren't the ones being tear gassed. They weren't the ones being beaten, arrested just for simply voicing and fighting for you know, justice and for the rights of our people. And that kind of got me into like looking more into mutual aid work. And that's how I found out that there's so many mutual aid organizations in DC that really need our assistance and that really need political comms people on their on the in their organizations. Because one thing about organizing, you cannot successfully organize without successful communication. Um, communications plans is very important. Like just a few days ago or yesterday, the org I just joined that I told you about, they released one of the best press releases I've, I've seen ever. Um, just talking about um, 
what's happening in Haiti and connecting it to the US government. And when I tell you, like when I read it, like this is the type of stuff our organizations need. Like I personally don't want to, like I always say this, I'm going to have my own firm and it's gonna be black owned, black ran, black everything. I'll, pro I'll probably have like people who aren't like non-black people on my team, of course, because I'm not, a I don't discriminate at all. Um, but we have black organizations like the Black Alliance for Peace and all of these organizations in DC that are black owned, black ran, who really need like political communications perspective within their, you know, their strategies. Um, and, you know, although it wasn't called political communications back then, but the Black Panther Party, their 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 articles, their newsletters that they were putting out, like that that itself is a form of political communication. Like they are communicating political issues, they're communicating political education, they're communicating um, issues and policies that we really need to know and be aware of as a people. So it's like where we're doing the mutual aid work, where we're organizing and all of these things, like press releases need to be pushed out every time a major issue is happening. Like, you know, we have social media where we make flyers and um, graphics, like whenever, you know, something controversial is happening in the country. Um, but, you know, I think also incorporating different strategies of communications um, is where a political communicator can come in and step in because it's like, I'm currently learning how to communicate policies, how to communicate um, different um, agendas that are happening, you know? So I just, I just want the discipline. I've, and I also think that, um, that political communication should definitely be something that's taught at HBCUs as well. Like that's, that's like the number one thing. Like we have mass communications, but our, but we don't really have like political communications incorporated. I know um, like, cause, and I even know that because it's like a lot of people that I know who are in communications now who graduated from HBCUs, they majored in political science. So it's like, you know, if you're interested in communications and politics, why not why not integrate those two pieces together on an undergraduate level um so i think that's something that i definitely want to work on with my alma mater personally and see if that's something that they would be willing to expand on like you know adding that as a track to the political i mean to the communications um field at our school but i think that I definitely think political communications is a lost discipline. When I and when I say lost, I mean like, you know, there's a lot of thriving people in the discipline and in, in the field, a lot of thriving people, but it's lost when it comes to black people. Like there's just not enough of us in political community. Like a lot of us are in communications. A lot of us is in entertainment. A lot of us um, is in, you know, PR, a lot of us are, you know, we're doing great things on the, I feel like black people really like run 
communications like we like uh, so many of these communications platforms like it's just it's literally us like our ideas our communications ideas are us a lot of communications interns are black like the, like communications just runs in our in our blood i don't know what it is but as far as political communications i don't think that's very that's pushed towards black people a lot because even when doing my research on gw and like past like alum who graduated with communications degrees here a lot of them are were white a lot of and a lot of them are currently like you know working for like mainstream media platforms like cnn and stuff like that and i think that kind of like encouraged me even more to um, come to gw and be in political communications um because although i don't want to be like in front of the camera all the time i don't want to actually report i do want to be um a political analyst like i i want to i want to be a political correspondent i want to be a political like commentator so i want to come on the scene and speak on these issues and all of these different things and stuff but i just feel like there's not a lot of catering and and i feel like dc was like the only place that i could see myself successfully doing that in and a lot of people say, like i know somebody from jackson mississippi who wants to move out here to do political communications like i feel like we should be able to thrive in political communications anywhere it shouldn't have to just be the 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 hub of politics it shouldn't have to be the capital only you know um so that's that's pretty much why i'm into and i also want to be a lawyer so like a lot of political communicators are in law um, it's it's just a great way to better strengthen um, your strengthen your stance, like your views and on your stance, and you know, um, and research is another thing. Like I would I I I want to get more hands on with the research. I want to better understand um, why things are happening and how things are happening to us. You know, from a research perspective, I I want to conduct surveys, I want to conduct experiments and stuff like that um, to better um, gauge what's happening within our community, um, in our community, in our communities. So that's, that's, yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm not sure if I um, mentioned this in my email, but I think that, you know, I studied journalism at Howard, but then a lot of my internship experience has been in political comms. And so mm -hmm. you spoke to a lot of like, you know, what I've, you know, seen the experience as far as like, I didn't even know that field was a thing that existed mm -hmm. until I got, you know, exposed to one agency. And then from there, just got exposed to more like learning opportunities. Um, so I definitely agree with the fact that like, you know, this is a discipline that needs to be really shared and catered to, you know, people in undergraduate levels. Um, yeah. So one thing that I wanted to hear your perspective on was just, you mentioned like protests that happened last summer as well as the current administration. So what is your perspective on like how like social media, for example, has kind of played a role in, you know, we see, um, this is like kind of dumb, but then also like the the strategy aspect of it. Like you see like um, Biden and Harris kind of doing their walking videos every day and not really communicating like, you know, policies and things that are happening like within their administration. Um, or like that's not really what's being engaged with. So can you maybe talk about like 
how different politicians or community leaders may engage on social media versus like their efforts to really communicate, you know, again, those policies, things that are happening on the ground um, and really making that information accessible. And just like, you know, what, again, like the general like role that social media plays in politics these days. Yeah, um, definitely. And that's something that we actually spoke about last semester um, in one of my courses, um, how like, this is like all political communications, which you just said. Um, I think a lot of it is performative. Um, and one thing that we learned that I learned last semester, um, it's called the drama, I forget what it's, basically it's, um, it's a theory where um, it's called the front and backstage um, theory. So basically we see Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in their suits doing the walk memes, the walk gifts and videos and stuff like that. And behind the scenes, like that's their front stage, like that's their front stage performance. They're, they're showing us that, yes, we are the politicians that you guys want us to be because Trump is now gone and we're going to revitalize America. Like, it's like, it's like the, what they're showing us right now, like is just their performance, but behind is where they take off those suits. They, that's where they, they really step into who they are as politicians. And I personally have my own thoughts about um, the pair, um, but holistically and as a whole, um, I think through social media, we can even talk about AOC. Mm, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> like AOC is a prime example of somebody who she started off well. Um, you know, she 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 the reason why I ended up starting to like the reason why I started to like AOC is because um I think it was last year or two years ago, I think last year, she was making margaritas on live and just talking politics. And I was like, this is cool. Like, I like how she's engaging with us. Like she's using an experience that she actually did experience. She was a bartender. Like she actually, she was being personable. And I really liked that. But as I started to get into political communications, being personal in politics is all performance. Um, being personal um, in politics is about pandering. It's about trying to 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 pretend like you can um, can relate to the people that you are serving. Um, so as far as that, like her social media presence has really turned me off for the in the past few months because it's like like recently when she basically said something about us going out to to mobilize mm -hmm. and organize for student loans but but you're in office right you are an elected official who has the greater capacity to reach to to these people you're telling us to go out to the streets of DC or wherever we're at to march, rally, organize, protest, 
when we were doing that for Black Lives and we were getting, we were getting shut down, we were getting um, pepper sprayed, maced, bullet, whatever the case. And you want us to go out and organize for student loans when you're literally there front and center to do something about it. And like even her whole thing with Tom Cruise, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz on social media, like it's like it's like it's like Bat Girls Club, but in pop for politics. <laughs> It's like they're just, it's like they want us to like feed into it. Like, this is what I'm going to call it. I call it celebrity politics. Like, like, I feel like AOC is a celebrity politician. I feel like Joe Biden, although there are a lot of people who are not a fan of him, he is a celebrity politician. I feel like Barack Obama is a celebrity politician. And these are politicians who like, you know, they get the most attention because of their appearances, because of their progressiveness, because of how they interact with the youth, which they barely do, honestly. You know, they act like they interact with us, but they barely do. So it's like social media, and and, and if we're being honest, these people, I mean, probably AOC is most likely tweeting for herself, but like, Biden, Kamala, they have people tweeting for them. Right. They have people, they ha- and, and this is where the political communications comes in, where the political communications professionals comes in. Because now when you have a political communications professional on your, running your account, they know, they know what to say. They know what to do. They know how to frame certain things. They know how to reach us. Um, so it's like because they don't have time to just pull their phone out and just tweet i mean trump did because he just was he i don't know how he was able to have so much access to his own account that's just beyond me he he didn't even have a communications team probably it looked like hbcu sga just chilling like you know and i think that right there is a way for them to to make it seem like everything is okay. Everything is returning back to normal. Everything is is simmering down when it really isn't. Like it, it's really not like you're you're posting all of these videos of you like walking acting like things are are happening but then we're finding out that a lot of the things that you ran on a lot of the 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 things that you said you were going to do, you're backing out of them, or you're you're not really you're not really standing true to that. Um, like for example, with the deportations, how can you say that you paused deportations, but your administration has deported more, specifically more Haitians than the previous did? And you've only been in office for how many months? Not that long. So it's stuff like that. So I feel like it's all performative. Um, so this whole social media thing is, is, is just performative. It's like social media influencers. Um, social media influencers are real people, but I think that they are one of the most performative people ever. Like I I personally wouldn't wanna be a social media per, um, 
like influencer because I know that with that comes a level of you know of performative like a performativeness and stuff like that so it's just stuff like that and we can even like speak on we can even speak on like if you saw the whole Cadillac um Mm. sponsored um video that Tamika Mallory and her team put out um as in a as a response to the mothers who um express their grievances about, you know, their politics and their activism. That right there is the biggest, is is one of the biggest um, things that we actually talk about in political communications. It's like, how can we, how can we like shift, how can we shift, um, how can we shift these people from what they're hearing about you know what's going like our activism and stuff like that and and try to get them to like kind of stay on our side but little do they know that a lot of people our age a lot of people coming up they are becoming anti-capitalist you did a whole sponsored video with cadillac cadillac is is the epitome of of elitism. It's the epitome of capitalism. It, it is, it is half of the people of half of the people in communities that you say that you're fighting for can't even afford a Cadillac. They can't even get a Cadillac. Yet you're using Cadillac to push your agenda, to push your you have people, these people have comms teams who are working on their behalf, who are doing these things for them. They don't even have to peep a word. They don't even have to say a word. Their team knows how to how to get us, you know. Um, so with politics, it's just it's just a lot because it's like I I I've been I've I've been trying to um, be a little bit less. Um, I'm always gonna critique, but I've been like when the Biden administration was first elected, I was. I, I kind of stepped back so I can kind of observe things like for a few weeks. I, I was observing and then I'm like, there's a lot more social media presence than there is actually us hearing about what's really you know happening right. with the policies. A lot of social media, but like what's happening behind the doors, like, what like what are you what are you what are you signing these things for you're just signing just to sign and say that you did you signed an executive order so it's like it's it's just really performative to me um it's performative it's and and i think it's it's also um they think because a lot of americans are very consumed by social media so we are the Twitter is our new our is our newspaper. People wake up in the morning, they go on Twitter, they scroll through it like it is the newspaper. It is literally the newspaper. So they know where to reach us. They know how to reach us, especially the youth. Um, and with the youth, it's like they're not directly coming to us. They're not directly having meetings with, with us. Um, Sometimes they do, um, because I know somebody who's currently on like a task force, a youth task force with the Biden administration, but I still don't hear what they're doing. I, 
what's happening, like, you know, what's actually being done. Um, so I feel like um, social media, regardless if it was, if social media was around or not, like the performances would have still happened, but it's just, it's just in our face more and it's disrespectful and it's, it's, it's a slap in the face um, when I see stuff like that, it's because it's like, you guys are putting out these cute graphics and stuff like that, but the policies that you're implementing are not cute, you know? So just a lot with that. Yeah. And you kind of touched on a few things that hit on my next question, just this idea of like the, you know, you talking about political comms being a discipline and, you know, people are aware of the performativeness and, you know, the, the political theater that, you know, a lot of these politicians and community activists do, but maybe aren't able to marry the two and understand like, okay, this is a strategy. This is, you know, like a specific and intentional kind of performance. Um, So do you think that the line between, you know, political comms and, you know, people who actually study this and live this work, um, where like you and I may be able to see a lot of those things, but like people may not, again, may not have the language and the understanding of like, what is actually being done in the specific tactics? Like what um, do you think that line has been blurred and, and what are some other instances where you think that has happened? Um, I always say, unless you're in political communications, you will not, you, you won't be able to, to, I mean, there are people, um, anybody can see when media is bamboozled, like, 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 you know, playing with them. Anybody, you don't need to be in political communications to to know that. But when you're in political communications, you have a better understanding of why policies are communicated to us the way they are. You have a better understanding of why politicians frame certain things that they say the way they do. It's, it's all, it's all, it's all designed um, for them to, um, to, so one thing that um, we also talked about um, is this hierarchy system. So it starts at the top with the White House, um, starts at the top with the White House, White House has their own comms team, all these other things, and then it trickles down to state representatives, congressmen and women, um, set the Senate, all of those people. Um, and they also have their own communications pipeline and stuff like that. Then it trickles down to mainstream media. Um, so like CNN, and then right under mainstream media, we have like, you know, um, you know, people who have their own podcasts, people who have their own radio shows, people who have, um, you know, they, they tw- they're like tweeters, people who communicate um, information on their own and stuff like that without having to be connected to a, a bigger entity. And then you have the citizens who are intaking all of this information, um, all of this communications. So it's like, as you continue to go down more and down more and down more, and then you hit the average citizen, political communications becomes more blurred. People don't know that, you know, you're seeing this because 
you're de it's designed for you to see this. Um, it's not like, oh, we want you to see this because we care about your issues. Um, they pick the issues that they want us to care about at the time. So it's like, um, we can even like, okay, like to go back to um, what like with what's happening in Haiti. Um, and even everything that happened with NSARS in Nigeria, barely any, any, any political, political like attention from the White House, from Congress, barely any communications or, or any attention from, from mainstream media. And then when it comes to like local or smaller entities, all of that is on their backs to communicate to us. All of that, all of these podcasts, these radio shows, they have to carry the burden of having to communicate all of this stuff to citizens because they choose to talk about what they see fit. And um, right now, like, I feel like, I feel like I don't, I really don't want to say unless you're in political communications, but it's like, you have to, there, there has to be a really, really great understanding of, of, I think it just all starts with agenda setting in general, because like, even with um, what happened with 9-11, um, we talked about this in our, in one of my classes last semester, how that was a big agenda setting from the, the Bush administration, they made it, that, that's how they, that's how, you know, um, how a lot of people, um, how xenophobia and all of those things like came about because it's like, you know, after 9-11, the Bush administration made it seem like everybody who was Muslim, everybody who came from, um, these countries were the enemy of America. They were all terrorists. They were all, you know, out to to kill Americans and stuff like that. That was an agenda setting that that administration did because they were trying to take away the attention from the war that they were imposing, that they were trying to start. Um, they they wanted to take attention from the fact that. U.S. imperialism is doing all of these things to these countries that can't really fend for themselves. They can't really fend for themselves. So we don't know that they, well, those who have, you know, sense and good political community, I mean, education understand that, you know, these countries really can't fend for themselves, but the American government makes it seem like these people are going to take over the entire United States of America and it's gonna be we're gonna be under the dictatorship of whatever country and that's not the case. When America has led majority of a lot of this these imperialistic acts um um through of course like different European countries and stuff like that like France because colonization comes from the European countries, France, Spain, all that. Um, America is just influenced by the colonialism and we we adopted, I don't wanna, I, I, not we, 
the American government or, you know, the American institution has adopted that into their practices. And that's why we, we have, we had slavery in America. And now we have imperialism where we're going into other countries and we're um, dictating their politics, they're dictating their economics and all of these other things. So as far as somebody like really understanding, like, are they like playing us? Like, are they trying to like, you know, what are they trying to, to, what messages are they trying to convey? I personally don't think somebody who doesn't understand, because even people in who majored in political science don't understand how politics is communicated. Like, I have friends who majored in political science, and I'm here talking to them about you know, how we, how I integrate communications within that as somebody in political communications. And like, oh yeah, like, you know, politics is, when, when you hear politics, all you think about is the branches of government. All you think about is the president, vice president. You don't think about the different structures, the different institutions under these political norms that are actively like, you know, affecting not just the American, the, um, the American country, like not just America, but it's affecting different nations. Um, so, and through political communications, that's just, um, it's, you'll, you'll just have a better understanding of that. So it's like, sometimes like, when I tell people that I'm in political communications, um, they think that I like, I mean, I've thought about running, but they automatically go towards, oh, so you want to run for office? No, I mean, I I have an idea if I want to or not, but people in office are not political communicators. They don't, they don't communicate the politics. They are the shapers of the politics. They are the, the, they are the um they they mold the politics they have people who communicate those politics they hire people to communicate those politics they they hire professionals who know how to like like um another thing um we talked about was the um the rnc and i forget what his name was but he was a um he was a I think he was a campaign manager for for one of the Bushes, something like that. But as a campaign manager and as a political communicator, like he was able to really, to really, really like have things in the in the advantage of of whoever he was working for. And for us, that's that's the point. Like we're not we're not going to work for somebody we don't feel has the potential to win period i mean if you're if you if you're black and you have a great plan everything and it it's befitting of our needs i'm going to work with you and stuff like that but like people in political communications they 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 know who to target they know what to target because at the end of the day if their candidate ends up winning they may secure their own spot as maybe comms director 
press secretary, chief of staff, whatever the case may be. And that helps them to better push the agenda of that candidate. So um, it's like, unless, and, and honestly, I don't think anybody has to be in political communications um, to understand that politics is, is just a sham the way it's communicated to us, but to really have a deeper sense of why it's happening that way, why things are being communicated that way. Um, political communications definitely plays a role because you know you have to understand the different institutions, um, bureaucracies, all these, all of these terminologies that they teach us. A lot of people also just don't understand that with organizing and mobilizing takes strategy. And strategy is something that we learn as political communicators. So when the average person says, oh, no, this is not what they're trying to do. Joe Biden's not trying to, trying to like, let's, let's just wait to see what Joe Biden's doing, this and that. There's a strategy behind how he's moving, how the government moves, any president, regardless if they are the best president in the world or the worst president in the world, there will always be strategy behind um, behind what they're pushing. Everybody has an agenda. Every politician has an agenda. The agenda, it doesn't mean the agenda is bad. It doesn't mean the agenda is good. It's just an agenda, but you need strategy to push that agenda regardless of the fact. So it's like, I think what people aren't understanding is strategy. Like everything is strategy. Um, so yeah. I, I, I think it's it's strategy for sure. Mm -hmm. And then what, um, I know you mentioned strategy and agenda setting, like how, or what are some like small steps or things that people can learn like that, like average everyday person can learn to be able to engage with politics or just engage like with digital platforms or communications in a more like critical way? Mm -hmm. So one thing I would definitely say is, um, one thing I would say is what I started to do was um, I started to follow most politicians on social media. Um, and by following them, like I don't follow them because I support them or anything. Um, I follow them so I can directly see what types of things they're tweeting or their teams tweeting. Um, and based on that, I can better understand. You can tell, like, for example, you can tell if somebody is running for re-election before they even say it by how they're tweeting. Right. Like, just by how they're tweeting, you can tell if they have a plan to run again or they have a plan to propose a bill, propose whatever the case may be. So I would definitely encourage people to, I th mm. because honestly, like, I think another thing, people aren't reading articles. They are just reading headlines and bylines and taking that as is and saying, oh, well, that's what it is. Um, I think taking time, like at least one article a day or maybe just two articles a week 
um, about certain um, um, things and also not just putting all of our attention towards mainstream media. I think, you know, tuning into tuning into smaller podcasts, tuning into radios, tuning into um, smaller media outlets that are giving the political education that we need, because we're not going to expect political political education beyond voting and the branches of government from the people from the top. They're not going to get intricate. They're not going to talk about capitalism. They're not going to talk about imperialism. They're not going to talk about uh, neoliberalism. They're not going to talk about all of these things that we really need to understand to really understand why are we saying abolish the police? Why are we saying abolish the filibuster? Why are we saying abolish the electoral college? Why are we saying abolish white supremacy, abolish the system? But we're saying abolish these things, but we don't have an understanding of what we want to abolish. Simply saying abolish the police simply because black people are being killed is not a reason to abolish, it's not the only reason to abolish the police. We need to abolish the police because they are literally part of a system that that derives from a, a, a remodeled enslavement of Black people, the prison industrial complex and stuff like that. They're part of the prison industrial complex. So just having the education, and when I say education, you don't have to be a scholar in these you don't have to know every terminology. You don't have to be the most wokest person. You don't have to, you don't have to be any of that. But just having a better understanding will help you to understand what you're fighting for. Because something that I notice is that a lot of us on social media, we're getting caught up in buzzwords. And it's like, it's all cool and all. And that's how we got caught up with Black Lives Matter. And now look at them. Now they're being exposed. Now they're being, you know, exposed for all of these different things. But we were backing up Black Lives Matter because of the time and the urgency that we were in. And we're not really looking into these these nonprofits. Like Black Lives Matter, the organization is a philanthropic organization. They have the guise as if they are an advocacy org. They're philanthropic. They are a nonprofit organization. Um, and they that takes away the attention from these smaller organizing organization, organizing groups um, and um, direct action groups and mutual aid groups. And even the local BLM chapters who are not getting the assistance they need from the, the like, grander um, organization. So I think um, that's one thing to understand. Um, so I think definitely reading or watching documentaries because not everybody um, wants to read and not everybody um, has the ability to um, to do that. You know, they're, you know, we need to be sensitive to, to those um, with disabilities. Not everybody um, is able. Um, so documentaries or different things that 
is accessible to you and whatever resources that you know is accessible to you that you can use to just better educate yourself on certain things. Because like a few days ago, I tweeted about um, how I tweeted about how it's important for us to have political communications beyond beyond just, you know, what it means to vote and all these other things. And and some and I mentioned US imperialism, I mentioned capitalism, and somebody tweeted me back and said none of that has to do with political communicate. I mean, none of that has to do with political education. And I was like, do you not understand that like American politics is part of the capitalist structure? American politics is part of imperial like it's all politics. It's ever it's all politics. It's not just the the branches of government. It's not just um, the it's not the basic political things that we were taught in U.S. government in high school or what we're taught at a, in a political science class. So it's like I think definitely um, reading in. I mean, I I always encourage to read books, um, but. I have to remember everybody has different learning styles. Everybody educates themselves differently. So I feel as though you educate yourself the best way that you feel like you'll be able to gain the knowledge needed to just be a better, um, a better, a better um, contribution to the fight, I guess. Um, and you can fight in many ways through art. If you're an artist, you can do that through your poetry. You can do that through your art. You can do that through singing. If that's your way of activism, that's your way of activism. Um, but of course, don't exploit others. Don't, you know, don't focus on monetizing off of it because it's not about you. It's about the people. Um, if you're in communications, using you know, your platforms that you have, like podcasts, like what you're doing now, your podcasts, people with radio shows and stuff like that, just finding ways to see how you can contribute to it. And that's why, like, a lot of local organizers encourage people to join organizations. And it, it takes nothing to do that. You know, just join an organization that 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 is fighting for these things. Like, just you know contributing your your time your your body to this thing to these things or even if you can't always physically be there and stuff like that like you know just to know that you are a part of a a part of something that's really trying to fight and make change in our in our community in our country is 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 really is really good and you'll learn strategy from that like when you meet with these organizations, they talk about how they're going to strategize their next direct action event, how they're going to strategize a rally, how they're going to strategize um, going to the Capitol, I guess, and protesting. Everything is about strategy. So like, it's just, it's just being open to those things. And that was my last question. Was there anything else that you um, wanted to add? Um, um, no, I think, I think a lot was said. Um, I definitely like 
this platform that this space and platform that you created um, as somebody in communications. Um, this is something that, you know, we need a lot more of, um, like having these actual conversations. Um, so I, I really appreciate this. Um, I enjoyed um, just talking about the, these things and answering your questions. And I definitely think that, you know, um, continuing, like you doing this work right now is just a contribution to, you know, the, the fight for black liberation in itself. Um, you know, you're, you're using your resources, you're using your intellect, you're using your knowledge, which you know how to do to, um, to contribute to what, 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 what we're fighting um, for. So I really appreciate that. And I think a lot, I think mass communications as a whole has a lot of work to do when it comes to like addressing or incorporating the issues of Black people um, because our issues are always highlighted the most, but those are the same issues that are not being fought for. Like, you know, not fought for, but things are not being implemented for us. But yet, Black Lives Matter is always mainstream on TV, always plastering these protests. What are you guys going to do about it? You're plastering us. You're, 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 you're exploiting us in a way. You're showing us traumatic and triggering videos of Black death all the time on your media platforms. But what are you going to do about these issues? So. That's it for this episode. You can find us on social media at better to speak underscore or on our website, better to speak.org. If you want to sponsor an episode and support better to speak, you can find the link to donate in the description of whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. Be sure to tune into future episodes where we'll dive into various sociopolitical topics with the goal of transforming silence into language and action. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Felton. Thank you for listening.